If ever there was a spirit cursed with a double-edged sword, it's Absinthe. On one hand, its many nicknames include the Green Fairy and the Green Muse. Drinkers of it include such notables as Edgar Degas, Van Gogh, Ernest Hemingway, Picasso, Oscar Wilde, and maybe its most famous drinker of all, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. Ah, but then there's the other side of the sword. Another nickname for it is the Guillotine of the Soul. What gives its bitter flavor, green color, and bad press is its most well-known ingredient, wormwood. This has to be the only spirit ingredient that gets its own mention twice in the Bible. In the book of Revelations, wormwood is used to symbolize a fallen star that turns a third the world's water too bitter to drink. Shakespeare referenced wormwood in Romeo and Juliet by writing that Juliet's wet nurse her by putting wormwood on her nipples. Absinthe and its ingredient wormwood were seen as the source of society's ills, probably by those secretly jealous of early hipsters. And by 1915, absinthe was banned throughout most of Europe and the USA. The UK never banned absinthe, but this was mostly down to the fact that barely anyone drank it here. The ban was seen as a way of protecting folks against Toujon, a chemical component in wormwood which was believed to be the cause of absinthe seizures and hallucinations. The fact that absinthe sky-high ABV, which made whiskey seem like a child's drink, never seemed to be considered as a reason for its potent punch. Vermouth, which the word itself comes from a German meaning wormwood, gets some of its flavor from wormwood. But in the band against absence, vermouth and the other wormwood-based spirits never get a mention. It makes you wonder. Hi, I'm Vela Mitrovich, editor at the Distiller's Journal. And I'm Ross McPherson. But that was then and this is now. All bans have been lifted, and for the first time ever, Absinthe is being distilled in London by Reese Everett and Alison Crawbuck. We're joining them today at their distillery, The Devil's Botany, in East London, to get to the bottom of the Green Fairy. I've danced around with a word I could barely pronounce, absence. As distillers, could you tell us exactly what absence is? So absinthe is a botanical spirit at its essence. Uh, It is made in a very similar way to gin. So you're going to start out with a neutral spirit and then you'll redistill it with a mix of botanicals. If you were to make a gin, you need juniper. And if you're going to make an absinthe or a traditional absinthe, at least, you need what's known as the holy trinity of botanicals. So that's grand wormwood, green anise, and fennel seed. Its name comes from the Latin for grand wormwood, which is Artemisia absinthium. So that is what absinthe is. And then from that one botanical, the, the whole category was created as we know and love it today. Considering what beginning soft drink manufacturers were putting in their supposedly 
healthy alternative drinks, absence really seemed to get the bums rushed. But did it actually deserve its bad reputation? So during the late 19th century, France was seeing a bit of a absinthe craze. So just like London had its gin craze in the 18th century, France had a absinthe craze in the end of the 19th century where absinthe was made without any regulations and there were examples produced with chemical adulterants, uh, copper sulfate was added as well as other toxins. This was being made without any real uh, understanding of the dangers of distilling improperly heads, hearts, and tails, knowing what you're actually putting in the bottle and selling to the consumer. And it was also a time when there was the phylloxera crisis going on. So the grapevines were being destroyed by a vine louse that came over from America. This made the wine prices go up, brandy prices went up as well. So the price of absinthe went down and it became the drink of choice in France. This was all happening at a time where there are a lot of uh, a lot of other things that were legal at the time that wouldn't be legal today. Opium dens were quite fashionable. So there was a bit of a, a crazy time happening in the Belle Epoque in France. And from that came the, the bad reputation uh, that surrounded absinthe. It sort of became the scapegoat for all the, the madness. Its bad reputation came from brands that were not making absinthe to traditional standards. Um, but they were using uh, colorants um, to turn it green and using sort of bad information to create a product that they could call absinthe, make very high strength and encourage people to then set the liquid on fire and drink it as shots. So rather than drinking it as we love to drink it and we dilute it with water, be it still or sparkling, add ice to it, drink it as a kind of nice aperitif. Um, there was a, a, a fad that people should sell it a light, shoot it and um, become very forgetful about what happened in, in, in their evenings. And so the, 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 there's a mixture of the two bad reputations which we kind of fight daily now is the one side from the from a hundred years ago of where the sort of the grand wormwood and the, the compounds in, in grand wormwood, one in particular called thujone, was targeted to send and used as an excuse that it was it was sending people crazy against today we have the reputation that it should be set alight and it's really high strength and if you drink it you're gonna be sick. And it's not about the absinthe, it's about the quality and the the proof of the absinthe that you're drinking. Um, versus the, um, the absinthe itself, or in particular, the grand wormwood, which contains a um, chemical compound called thujone, um, which in extremely, extremely high doses is, is bad for your health, can cause convulsions. Ultimately, if you were to consume thujone in extreme quantities, much worse will happen to you. You could die from, from consuming it. But thanks to modern science, this was proved um, in America that the amount of thujone that was in pre-ban absence and modern-day absence, which are now regulated, are nowhere near the amount that could change or alter your mind whatsoever. Absinthe just seems to have the worst name of any botanical out there. Nothing sounds as unappetising as wormwood. 
I yeah, know. yeah, no, certainly not. Or woodworm. You don't want to be uh, consuming woodworm. In 1915, France banned absence, one of the last European nations to do so. But let's just put into context what else is happening at the same time. World War I has been waging for a year. In 1915, Allied troops land at Gallipoli, which will go pear-shaped for the Australians and Brits. Italy declares war on Austria, which will go pear-shaped for the Italians. Russia invades Germany, which will go pear-shaped for the Russians. And then there is the first gas attack by the Germans against British and French troops. What does France do in the face of all this? It bans absence. What are your thoughts? Absinthe must have been the worst thing going on at the time, right? <laughs> it's uh, no coincidence, though, that it was banned in 1915 because the, well, it was banned in France in 1915, and that's very much because they needed their troops to be sober, and they needed to uh, prepare for the war that was imminent. But it, when you list it like that, surely they all could have used a glass of absinthe. <laughs> It was never that popular of a drink in the UK, thus it was never banned here. But could it be attained in Britain? Yes, it was being attained here. So generally throughout the ban, and if we go back to kind of 1920s, 1930s, just after it was banned across France, Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium, a lot of Europe and America, and the UK was selling it predominantly in hotel bars. So we have the Savoy Hotel here in London. That released a cocktail book in, I think it was 1930, and that contained over 100 absinthe cocktails. So it was very much in fashion at the time in England to go to these cocktail bars, the Savoy Hotel, the Astoria Wardorf, the Café Royale, uh, famous for where Oscar Wilde would, would drink his absinthe. These places were using absinthe as uh, great modifiers in cocktails. Um, and were being sold. We, we generally in the in UK at that period had a crazy obsession with gin. So well, as we were mainly focusing on gin and juniper, um, absinthe was, was mainly just sort of being used and spread around the cocktail world. In interviewing people across the spirits industry, I found the occasional one who's decided to go into producing a spirit that they knew nothing about. Were you two fans of absence before you decided to make it, or did you just think the idea seemed pretty cool? So uh, our love of absinthe started in a very backwards way, and it started with one really bad glass of absinthe. Uh, we were very interested in finding out more about it, and we wanted to try absinthe, get to know it, poured ourselves a glass of absinthe that looked like mouthwash, and added water, it didn't get the beautiful louche clouding effect to it. And we thought, well, there's definitely something wrong here. So then we started doing research into what traditional absinthe was, found a couple examples that were available in the UK at the time, and then got to know absinthe from there. Drank quite a bit in our research, which was rather enjoyable. And then we decided what we wanted to contribute to the spirit category. Yeah, um, we we sort of travelled around to the most known places in in France and Switzerland, where the, the very small hold of producers that are still producing absinthe in France and Switzerland sort of got to know a lot of their absinthe. We were importing absinthe to our bar as well um, from these producers, so we focused purely on the the best quality absinthe we could get our hands on, 
made to the most traditional standards by people that were distilling absinthe um, pre-ban um, and sort of gaining our knowledge of what we believed true absinthe should be and then work towards putting our spin in and using London and London's history of absinthe in creating our recipes. Where did your actual recipe come from? Did you create or find it? So at the moment, we, we have uh, two absinthe recipes. The, the first recipe we developed ourselves. This, this recipe was through much trials and um, a, a long sort of process, maybe around about 18 months. We, we launched right at the end of 2020. 2020. So I can't remember how many lockdowns we had been through at that time. It was during the pandemic. So we spent almost every day working on our recipe um, making sure that it stood up to our expectations and also stood up to what absence that our favorite absence were. And we wanted to, to put something into market which was different, but had all those um, fabulous sort of qualities that, that we expect when we go to buy an absinthe. And we want to showcase that true absinthe is what we are, uh, are producing. So it, yeah, it came from a, a lot of hard work, a lot of trials, a lot of errors um, to, until we finally, yeah, after around about 18 months, landed on a recipe that we were really proud of um, and wanted to, to put out to the market. And then the second recipe has a bit more of a sort of historic uh, reference to London itself. So our... London absinthe, like we said, it's made to traditional standards using the traditional botanicals, but we wanted to incorporate other botanicals that could be found growing wild around London. So for that one, we used the marshes that surround our distillery as our inspiration. The absinthe regalis, when we were doing our research into the origins of absinthe, we found, well, when talking about the origins of any alcohol in general, the facts tend to be muddled, as you would expect um, over time when talking about drink. But the one story that kept getting repeated for the last 200 years is that it started uh, in Switzerland. The first commercial absinthe distillery started with a recipe for a cure-all elixir that someone decided had potential as an aperitif rather than medicine. So from there, we started researching this curious elixir to find out its origins and we traced uh, old recipes for herbal elixirs that were made here in London back to the year 1719 and we found an original apothecary's recipe book that had in it what was very much an early example of absinthe, not called an absinthe, it was called a spirit of wormwood but just like absinthe is wormwood in French and this was very much an absinthe that was made here for medicinal purposes. So we use that as our inspiration for the absinthe regalis. It's going to be much more spiced than the London absinthe. The two of them are great examples of the variety that you could find in the spirit category. When you say you were creating this recipe, did you have a small kitchen distillery that you experimented with? Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. So we we. Are- when before we having having the distillery we uh, applied for a dis- distilling license at home so we have a two and a half liter development st- still that we're using so everything was getting pushed through that still luckily it's, it takes a much shorter period of time to distill on a 2.5 liter uh, so we were, we were able to um, do the whole process in a few hours and yeah just kept working 
working on it on that still until we got it right and then we had to learn again and and improve it again to take it from 2.5 to 150 liters still did you have any training or experience in distilling before this so i was taking courses and um learning so I've, I've, I've got certifications by the ibd and i was doing um courses with a well-known um craft sort of distiller guy he um launched he launched he launched uh, a lot of the biggest distilleries that we've got going or a consultant i suppose um so i worked with him um did a course with him he, he sort of set a lot of the sort of ideas and plans and motions and and the basically how to build a distillery i learned through him um the the technical side of things i learned through the uh, company the ibd and then the the actual physical making of absinthe and of spirits was just learned over time it took time to learn do things wrong and, until they they are right and um keep keep on trying trial and error and that now i'm very comfortable with the with the equipment it must have been like magic the first time you saw absinthe coming out of that still yes certainly so yeah yeah, yeah. it was a fantastic uh experience and, and to, to get the it, it, the first one was 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 still pretty good it was it was uh still very much an absinthe that did all those things it, it was really cloudy when water was added to it very strong anise and um, fennel flavors and other things coming in the background so it was it was good fun and to just to yeah do it all by hand and, and get all of those flavors coming through like a very clear spirit it's um something magical about it you mentioned that you were inspired to use botanicals that came from the nearby Lee Valley, if you were allowed to use them, and from London. Yeah, Lee Valley. Um, so we, we are based on the Walthamstow Marshes, and that that stretches to Hackney Marshes up to Tottenham Marshes, and it's, it's known as the Walthamstow Wetlands um, in Lee Valley. So it's a, a, a nature reserve. Absolutely beautiful. Tons of wildflowers growing. Um, you have cows horses wild deer it can be seen there very rarely there's the huge reservoir um up up at the top of it which um produces a lot of the water for the area as well yeah really beautiful area yeah it it we're lucky to be near such a wealth of inspiration in terms of botanicals and also just an incredible green space in the middle of a city. It doesn't feel like you're in London when you're there. But a lot of these botanicals would have grown throughout centuries all around London. Did I say a lot of these Londons would grow around <laughs> London? A lot of these botanicals would have grown uh, all around London, not just in this area. So these are botanicals that would have been readily available and used both by the apothecaries for their supposed magical and medicinal uses, but also by distillers throughout the years. So it was a good way for us to reintroduce ourselves to some flavors and botanicals that would work well in an absinthe. For your botanicals, do you go to one source or various? Yeah, so we have one main um, supplier that's based in France, and then they will, um, according to what we um, are looking for, will go to various other suppliers around the world or farms and, and get those for us. So um, each, each botanical, generally, we have a specific um, area or country that we want to get them from, and they get them for us. You also make a London dry gin. How similar is it to absence? 
it's extremely similar. The, the, the two are very sort of close cousins, uh, we, we, we could say. London dry gin and absinthe are both made without sugar. There's no added um, sugar or, or anything, colouring or anything added to them. Gin is predominantly made with juniper uh, and absinthe is made with the holy trinity of botanicals being fennel seed, green anise and ground wormwood. Using those as a base, juniper in your gin, and then you can choose any other botanicals you really want to go with it. Um, most commonly, coriander seed being one, and angelica root. Um, and with the absinthe, you can then choose a vast array of botanicals you want to use with that as well. So for one, we went really floral. We wanted to use elderflower and meadowsweet, lemon balm, peppermint. And the other one, we want it to be much more spiced. So that contains kubeb, uh, galangal root, nutmeg, cinnamon, cardamom, um, lots of sort of really nice um, exotic winter spices. There's always been this ritual with drinking absinthe. What is it? So the ritual of preparing absinthe definitely draws people in. We, when we serve absinthe at our bar and we bring out an absinthe fountain, the rest of the room takes notice and immediately is asking what that is and can they have it. Absinthe was always made to be diluted. It is a highly concentrated botanical spirit, and it's also stronger than your standard gin, for example. So it helps adding water to it to bring out the aromas and the flavors that are locked within it. Also will have that lovely louche effect when you add water to it. So that ritual of diluting the absinthe so that you can transform it from a crystal clear, either colorless or green spirit to a beautiful, opaque, really uh, creamy, viscous, prepared glass of absinthe at the end is the desired outcome, but there are many ways that you could do that. So the absinthe fountain was introduced as a accessory for the absinthe drinker, very beautiful Art Nouveau. It is essentially diluting the absinthe for you through a sugar cube and an absinthe spoon that's balanced on top of the glass but you would also see photos of absinthe drinkers before the ban preparing their absinthe with soda water. So the soda siphon was invented at uh, the end of the 19th century, I believe. So it was a fashionable way of preparing absinthe at the time. There's definitely no other spirit that comes with such a ritual. In photos, you often see people either dissolving a sugar cube into the absinthe or even sucking the absinthe through the cube. When you make it for people at your absinthe bar, do you use a sugar cube or not? It depends. So a clear style of absinthe is going to be, traditionally it's going to be less bitter than a green style of absinthe because when you make a clear style of absinthe, you are getting the clear distillate off the still. To make a green absinthe, you will then take a distillate and macerate it with botanicals afterwards. So you're going to get a, you can get a slight bitterness from that second maceration process. So for a green Absinthe in particular, it's always nice to add a bit of sugar. A little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down, always. Uh, but you can have it either way. It's up to the absinthe drinker how they want to prepare it. People tend to drink it straight these days, or at least when they first try it. But you mentioned that during the 1930s at high-end hotels and restaurants, cocktail recipes made use of absinthe. What does it bring to a cocktail? Uh, so first and foremost, a strong anise um, flavour. And then beyond that, depending on uh, the style of absinthe you're using and the spirit that you're mixing it with will determine what absinthe you would like to choose to go in that. So we have two expressions of absinthe, the clear 
expression which is very floral so for us this works really well with lighter uh, spirits like gin and vodka but also uh, spirits like tequila and mezcal where you've already got a really nice earthy base to a, to a cocktail this will then add those floral elements to it as well as a nice hit of anise and fennel seed and then with our green star absinthe we have a lot of spices in there so that lends itself to work really well with um, your aged spirits so things like bourbons uh, cognacs and um, cocktails like sidecar or a sazerac works really well so depending on which base spirits you're using will for, for us and as as a bartender as well determine what absinthe i will choose to mix with that drink absinthe is also an excellent flavor enhancer so and a great modifier so if you're going to be making cocktails at home having a bottle of absinthe adding a few dashes to your existing favorite recipe will just change that flavor profile uh, the green style of absinthe that we have that's very spice if you add that with an aged spirit in a cocktail it'll bring out all those lovely spices from the wood contact in it as well so it's a good way to play around with the existing flavors and the base spirits that you're using in cocktails Devil's Botany plays on Absinthe's wicked reputation that it once had. Also, our inspiration uh, from the apothecaries and their recipes. The apothecaries were considered to be a friend of the devil for their work in distilling botanical spirits. So this is a play on that past, but also celebrating the botanical element of it and reintroducing Absinthe as a botanical spirit at its core. For those who want to experience absinthe, you have the absinthe parlor and cocktail bar. Can you tell us about it and the last Tuesday society? We have an absinthe parlor and a cocktail bar that is located within a curiosity museum. So the last Tuesday society is the name of the bar and the Victor Wynn Museum of Curiosities is the museum. It definitely is the perfect place to sit and enjoy a glass of absinthe or a cocktail. There are curiosities hanging from literally every corner of the, the walls and the ceiling. And we've been there for six years now. We opened in May 2016 and started serving absinthe the week we opened. We knew it was going to be the perfect place to share our passion for this almost forgotten spirit. And we started growing our absinthe lists there slowly. We, as we said, we, we started importing absinthe from France and Switzerland to share the stories of the producers there and the history that was there. And then now we have the longest list of traditionally made absinthe available in the UK, a lot of which we won't be able to get after they sell out. So Brexit has made it really difficult to import absinthe as a small business. So we are currently holding a very special collection of absinthe there for anybody that's really interested in it. And we play around with it in cocktails. One of our cocktails on the menu has absinthe in there. So people may walk through the door and say that they don't like absinthe, but we are going to try to make them yeah. change their mind before they leave. You've had the absinthe bar for six years now, which you mentioned holds the UK's largest collection of absinthe. What gave you the push to start distilling your own? So we always knew that we would want to make an absinthe. It was something that we were very passionate about and we knew that if someone was going to be crazy enough to do it, it would have to be us. 
We found a bunch of newspaper headlines from the year 1900 that said that an absinthe distillery was going to open in London and that never actually came to be. So we then used that as our motivation to go and be London's first absinthe distillery. Then, like many hospitality businesses, our bar was closed for the better half of 18 months, really, almost, I mean, the almost two years. And that gave us the push to do it. Now we're never sort of feeling and, and we chased a dream, went yeah. for it. At Imbibe, I saw a big interest in your stand. It seemed like a lot of people wanted to try absinthe, most probably for the first time. But I had to wonder how many of those tastes resulted in sales. Yeah, as far as as far as we so we've seen a, a huge increase in trade sales from our distributors since Imbibe. We, we, we were maybe maybe doubled our, our their ordering, I would say, um, since since it was Imbibe. But what it has also done is it's raised a. Our profile amongst the the bars in London. We've had um, we've been the busiest we've ever been trying to catch up with all the meetings and um, meet with everybody that we spoke with at the, the the trade show. And it certainly put us in a strong position since before Imbibe. And we are a small independent business, so there's only so much ground we can cover. And it was really great for us to be able to speak to many people under one roof rather than the amount of different venues we would have had to go to to meet the same people. For getting your drink into the hands of the consumers, what do you think is going to be the best way of doing it? Oh, that's, that's the million-dollar question. It's all about reintroducing absinthe, so making it relevant, celebrating the past, but also showing where it's going to go and showing people different ways of preparing it. Because while the ritual is beautiful and it's amazing, uh, it also is limiting. Not many people have a fountain at home. So there are many different ways that we can show people um, of preparing absinthe, show people that they can prepare absinthe. But I think it's, it's reintroducing it as a botanical spirit, as an aperitif, rather than as this high ABV shot that you set on fire and then regret life the next day. Our million dollar question to you. What do you see the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Uh, generally, it's, it's, it's still fighting the misconceptions and, and the myths behind uh, absinthe. People um, are concerned that it will um, make them hallucinate, for example. Um, which it does not. So we, will, we will make that clear. No? <laughs> um, so it's 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 just breaking breaking down the bag stigmas. Like what what happened sort of in the uh, around the millennium with um, a lot of in in this country in in, in the UK, um, a lot of um, people going on holiday and as we've said before, drink, drinking it, shooting it. Um, not not enjoying absinthe as it should be, and not drinking traditionally made or traditionally traditional quality absinthe. So for us, it's kind of letting them know that it it doesn't have to be that way. It, it tastes very different when prepared properly, whether it be with water, sparkling water, whether it is added to a cocktail, or like you can replace um, your gin with with our clear absinthe in a lot of cocktails. Uh, and have a really pleasant experience and have so much more flavor going on rather than um, 
sort of yeah being concerned about what it what it's going to do to health. But yeah, the, the biggest misconceptions are sort of turning the, the consumer away from being scared of it to wanting to enjoy it. And when we do get it in front of the consumer, they enjoy it. And as we previously said, they want to share it with their friends. They want to tell everybody that actually they know the true story behind absinthe and it will not make you crazy. It will not do, make you do stupid things. Yeah, the biggest challenges are definitely education and awareness. So, like Reese said, the misconceptions that surround absinthe still exist. So we are here to talk about absinthe and talk about it as it is, as a botanical spirit. And then the awareness is our next hurdle. The fact that we're London's first absinthe distillery there's not many other competitors out there, which is good and bad. It means that we are leading the way, but it also means that not many people know about the spirit or know what to do with it or know that it's available. So definitely the education and awareness are two areas that we're always, always trying to push. With such a great name and logo, what's next? We are going to work towards pushing absinthe into the 21st century. So we are inspired by the past, but we are all for reintroducing it to the modern absinthe drinker and creating the next generation of absinthe drinkers. We'll play around with different production methods, different flavor pairings. Our cocktail background definitely helps with that. And we're gonna see where we could take the spirit category. Visiting distilleries or even talking to distillers over the phone or Google, hand on heart, I've never met anyone that I didn't wish would be successful. I have to wonder though at times, does anyone realize the amount of work they're taking on? Most of the gin, rum and speciality spirits are one or two person outfits. Raw materials and supplies, distilling, bottling, labeling, and selling all fall on their shoulders. Add to this financial woes and tribulations. I used to see in the States a bumper sticker that read, the worst day fishing beats the best day working. Does this apply to distilling? I don't know, but seeing that magic happen when you see your liquid coming out of your still, all based on your recipe, it must make up for a lot. We wish the best to Reese and Alison and their amazing journey. If you find yourself in London's East End, be sure to check out their absinthe parlour and cocktail bar, which is located in the Victor Vind Museum. The Distiller Journal Podcast production review media produced and hosted by me, Vela Mitrovich. Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. What's executive producer, Rory Harris. We would like to give a special thanks to Reese Everett and Alison Crawbuck of The Devil's Botany, our sponsors, and most of all to you, our listening compadres. <laughs> <laughs>